I'm Richard Morris from Canberra, Australia. In 2014, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. After taking the dietary advice of the Australian Diabetes Association, I became more diabetic. Ouch! Ouch. So I did some research which led me to the ketogenic diet. Spoiler alert, I reversed my type 2 diabetes by drastically reducing my carb intake and increasing my consumption of healthy fats. In 2016, I was determined to help my buddy Carl by showing him what I did and the science behind it. Hey, y'all, that's me. I'm Carl Franklin from the U.S. Uh, I also used to be a type 2 diabetic, but not as severely as Richard. I devoured all the information Richard sent me. And after a mutual friend went keto to address prostate cancer, which, by the way, he's still cancer-free. Nice. I, yeah, I also went on the ketogenic diet. And that was February of 2016. By April, I was in full swing reversing my diabetes. We're not doctors and we don't give medical advice. We're just a couple of dudes on the internet who actually reverse their diabetes by following a ketogenic diet. Right. And we just want to share our experience and what we know about the science behind the ketogenic diet. Yeah. So we started this podcast to chronicle Carl's journey and also to provide some solid information to those curious about this lifestyle. Right. And now we have over 200 podcast episodes, this being yeah. 211. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these have been downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. And also, after failing on Facebook, yep. <laughs> we moved our <laughs> online community to the ketogenic forums, where tens of thousands of people share their experiences every day. We also founded an annual ketogenic festival called KetoFest. Carl and I are both software developers. As such, we found ourselves at software conferences several times a year, and we tend to gravitate towards the conversations that happen in the hallways at conferences. Sure, the talks are great, but it's the community that we enjoy the most. So KetoFest is a conference to discuss the latest research of ketogenic diets, and it's also a festival celebrating the ketogenic lifestyle. So tell me, Carl, what is a ketogenic diet? It's a diet where instead of burning sugar and starch for energy, our cells preferentially burn fat. That produces molecules called ketones that our bodies use for fuel. Right. Our primary molecular fuels are glucose, which we make from carbohydrates, and fatty acids, which we make from fat. Our cells have two modes. In one, they burn glucose and make fat, and in the other, they burn fatty acids and make ketones. But you don't have to eat a high-fat diet to be ketogenic, right? When you're starting out, you may have to, and then in a few weeks as you become better adapted to burning fat for energy when all your calories come from fatty acids, the amount that you need to eat becomes coupled to satiety, which integrates not only the variable amount of energy your body needs to run every day, but also the amount of fat that can be drawn down from storage. So how many carbohydrates do we need to restrict ourselves to in order to get into that state? That depends. It, some of us who are metabolically disordered need to get below 20 grams a day, and somebody who's quite metabolically flexible can probably eat as much as 100 grams a day. So how about other nutrients like protein, minerals, and essential cofactors like vitamins and essential fats? You need from one to one and a half grams of protein for every kilogram of lean mass that you have, and beyond that, you just waste excess by turning into energy instead of using fatty acids. As for the other essential nutrients, if you're eating fatty meats or eggs plus leafy green vegetables, you'll get most of those because the organisms that made those foods have already concentrated a lot of the essential cofactors. Ketogenic, right. Ketogenic diets are varied and delicious. They can be vegetarian or carnivore, home-cooked or takeout, hot cuisine. Hot cuisine! <laughs> or just bacon and uh, eggs. Eggs. <laughs> Excellent. There's a little bit of foreshadowing for you there, kiddos. <laughs> as long as your carbohydrates are low enough, that's the whole point. Right. And if you're an absolute beginner, check out our Starting Keto podcast for more information at start.2keto.com. So, we're going to try something new. We've been doing this podcast for over four years now and spoken to a lot of subject matter experts about all kinds of nuances on ketogenic diets from eating carnivore all the way to eating vegetarian and even eating nothing. <laughs> right, but the essence of the diet is simply reducing carbohydrates, however you do it, so that your liver takes over control of your blood glucose based on what you need rather than your pancreas controlling blood glucose based on what you eat. Right. We've tried to keep these episodes translatable for real people, 
by adding recipes into them so that people can see the kind of foods that we eat, that anyone can make, that are delicious and nutritious and satiating. Yeah, we've decided to uh, add some special episodes to change up the translatability of our content by doing some deep vertical dives into just one food. No mail, no recipes, no malarkey. I think you mean bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not supposed to use that word. Yeah, but I can. (laughs) Yeah. This first episode, we're going to do an entire episode on the humble egg, why you should consider eggs in your diet, how to cook them, and why eggs are one of the most potent keto foods for your health budget. I think if we're going to do a deep dive on eggs, we're going to need Richard's research Uh, My experience keeping keto cheap and translatable, and most importantly, Carrie's experience as a professional chef. I think what you mean to say, Cousin Carl, is keto dudes assemble. Yes. Yay. (laughs) We're back. We are back, and we're going to talk about eggs. Um, I'm going to start off with talking a little bit about uh, eggs as a a nutritious food. And where I get most of my information um, uh, on nutrient content of foods is the USDA Food Data Central. And I'm going to put a link into the show notes uh, for both uh, the USDA uh, data sheet on egg whites and also the data sheet on egg yolks and the data sheet on eggs as a whole. Now, the important thing about this uh, resource is you can actually look at it and it will tell you all of the nutrients inside uh, any particular food. So that it's got a search facility. You can say, look, I want to know what, what are the nutrients in baby corn, for example, or, or whatever. And, uh, and it will tell you not only how much water is there, how much energy is there, how much protein, fat and carbohydrates in, in that food, uh, what fiber content it is. But if you choose the right option, you can actually get to sit, drill in to all of the, all of the sugars involved. What, not just how much, many carbohydrates they are, but whether they're glucose or fructose or lactose or uh, maltose, um, you can also see all of the minerals and uh, essential cofactors like vitamins and, and uh, fatty acids and drill into exactly which amino acids are in the uh, are in the food product. So it's a really useful resource if you mm. if you if you're wanting to to um, find out what what the nutrient values of a food are. And the interesting thing about eggs is they really are complete in almost every essential nutrient that a human body needs. And the reason for this is that essentially they're everything that you need to be able to grow a baby chicken. So they have mm-hmm. all of the necessary contents for, um, for, for making chicken cells. And chicken cells are not that dissimilar from uh, human cells. So uh, probably the only nutrient that humans need that eggs don't contain is vitamin C. And the reason for that is that humans, in fact, primates, are kind of unique that we don't make vitamin C. Most animals are able to make vitamin C from glucose. Uh, but human, uh, primates and uh, there's a couple of bats, specifically fruit-eating bats, and the mm. guinea pigs are the only animals that don't make vitamin C. And the reason for that is that- When you say fruit-eating bats, are you talking about my mother- <laughs> or oh, my mother. <laughs> Frug- they technically they're t- called frugivorous bats. So if you want to, okay. <laughs> if you want to use her full name, <laughs> um, so uh, essentially uh, uh, the reason for this is about fifty million years ago, our ancestors lived in trees on fruit, and vitamin C or the pathway that makes vitamin C. Um, only makes vitamin C. It's not like it makes vitamin C and five other things and therefore it's really important to keep it around because it makes all these things. If your ancestors lived on fruit in an environment where fruit was plentiful and always available, it's easy to see why evolution might say, well, you know, you don't need this particular enzyme for making vitamin C. And that's why humans have to get it from their diet. We don't make it. But essentially, this USDA database is useful because you can actually compare uh, foods. So, for example, you might say, okay, what is the difference between an egg yolk and an egg white? Now, you know that eggs contain um, uh, protein. Uh, they contain yep. all nine essential amino acids that we can't make, plus uh, plenty of the other 11 that we can make. In, mm. in fact, here's an interesting question. Of the two, the yolk or the white, which do you think contains the most protein? I'm going to say the white. Okay. Why do you say the white? Uh, it's just what I've been told. 
you know? Yeah. I've been told that egg the, the protein is in the egg whites and yeah. the yolk is cholesterol, fat, and that kind of stuff. And a lot of people on high-protein diets, they eat the whites, right? They, they do. They eat only egg whites and they get yeah, rid of yeah. the yolks. What do you reckon, Carrie? No, it's the yolk. It is the yolk, yeah. Really? It's like 15, it's like 15% uh, of the yolk is... is uh, is uh, protein and ten percent of the uh, of the white is protein. The white is actually just water um, and and uh, salts and protein. So it's essentially it's it's like the the primordial sea that the mm. animal was swimming in. Um, it's wow. like a, a resource. The yolk, the animal is in the yolk. The the yolk will grow into the animal, and and you know we originally we all uh, evolved out of the sea, and so so this is a this is a the primordial sea that the animal. Uh, well, in and get slap my from. face and call me Susan. <laughs> okay, I Susan, had you got no it. idea. <laughs> Cousin Susan doesn't have the same ring. No, it really no. doesn't. Does it? <laughs> uh, so eggs also contain a lot of fatty acids. I mean, they're roughly three point one percent saturated fats, three point six percent monounsaturated, two percent mm-hmm. polyunsaturated fats, and that's roughly the 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 uh, fat content uh, of our own cells. And it makes a lot of sense because here are all of the raw ingredients for building chicken cells, which, as I mentioned, are very similar to human cells. So to make a baby chicken with functioning cells, you also need all the essential cofactors, like you need cholesterol and lipids like phosphatidylcholine to make cell membranes, and you need magnesium, potassium, calcium, and sodium salts to build electro electrolyte gradients. Um, and uh, you need zinc, copper, iron, selenium, and magne- manganese to coordinate proteins like hemoglobin. Um, you need cofactors like thiamine, riboflavin, uh, pantothenic acid, folate, cobalamin. These are all uh, for metabolic reactions, and we generally call these B vitamins as a group. Yeah. Uh, you need vitamin A, uh, retinol and beta carotene, which is required for vision growth and immune function. Um, you need specialized carotenoids like lycopene, lutein, which are essential water-soluble molecules for modulating oxidation. And then you also need vitamin E, uh, uh, alpha-tocopherol, which is an important lipid-soluble mod- uh, molecule for modulating oxidation. So um, another another essential ingredient is choline, which, you know, uh, of all of the foods, I mean, choline is absolutely an essential source of methyl groups for metabolic reactions, but it's also necessary to make neurotransmitters like acetylcholine, um, membrane lipids like phosphatidylcholine, and it's concentrated most in, in, in of, of all of the foods that we eat, it's most concentrated in either eggs or liver. And as you know, I don't eat the evil liver. <laughs> so <laughs> for me, yeah. uh, eggs are a very important uh, nutrient. Wow. So, so essentially, um, they're they're a really good um, uh, uh, nutrient for, for for getting a lot of the essential um, uh, factors for 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 building your human cells. So um, hmm. I highly recommend uh, eggs as as a nutrient. And it turns out that Mister Egg is our guest today. <laughs> <laughs> as we said, we, yeah, three keto dudes and an egg. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I'm interested to hear from Carrie about how eggs uh, perform in recipes and what roles they take on. I mean, you can cook eggs and you can make omelets, of course, but but how does a chef use eggs as an ingredient and for what purpose? So apart from the magical nutritional properties, which Richard has so brilliantly laid out for us, if you're not already convinced that you need to eat eggs, um, the other magical thing about eggs is that they are probably the most versatile and useful ingredient in any kitchen, Mm -hmm. but especially a ketogenic kitchen. You can... as just an egg, you can fry them, you can scramble them, you can soft boil them, hard boil them, you can poach them, you can bake them, um, or you can whip them into an omelette. And I'm going to share my <laughs> my super simple omelette the way I do egg it in a salad. minute. Um, sorry, but they- <laughs> I went all Forrest Gump on you there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was expecting a hobbit, but yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> they also do magical things 
in when combined with other ingredients. Mm. So some of the main properties that eggs have from a from a cooking perspective are eggs are great emulsifiers. Oh yeah. So what does that the, mean? So an emulsifier is something that causes oil and water to be able to live together happily. Ah. So oil and water don't mix. If you introduce an emulsifier, the emulsifier literally like sits in between the oil and the water and hangs on to both of them. So is that why mayonnaise uh, requires eggs in order? That's exactly why mayonnaise requires an egg. Well, specifically, it mostly requires the egg yolk. Yes. One of the differences from a cooking perspective between the egg yolk and the egg white is that the egg yolk is full of a, of a substance called lecithin, which is an emulsifier. So the lecithin gets in there with your oil and whatever water-based ingredients you have in your mayonnaise, like your apple cider vinegar or your lemon juice, and it literally holds the oil in one hand and the water in the other, and it holds them together in what we call an emulsion. It says, so I want to hold your smooth- hand. <laughs> you want to hold my hand, cousin I want to hold your hand. Yeah, I actually work with lecithin every day in the lab uh, because all of our cell membranes have, uh, they're basically membranes made out of molecules that have an oily side and a water-soluble side. And that phosphatidylcholine is, is, that I spoke about before is actually lecithin. Uh, I think famous chef Raymond Blanc, who was a three Michelin starred um, uh, chef in, in France, tried to see how much mayonnaise he could make with one egg yolk. And he made roughly 44 gallons of mayonnaise for one egg yolk. So you need wow. very little if you stretch. He, I mean, this guy is an expert, but if you really stretch He's it an out, expert. <laughs> <laughs> He's a three Michelin starred expert. Expert. <laughs> wow. So one of the magical things about eggs is their ability, particularly the yolk because of the lesser thin, is their ability to emulsify things. Like they're the peacemakers. Right. In the kitchen, they hold all the bits together. Um, one of the other things that eggs is particularly useful for is the eggs aerate. And actually, the white mm. is the aerator in the scheme of things. The white has a lot of different proteins in which together enable you to whip it into a structure which will then actually set once heat is applied. So this is how you get meringues and, and this is how you get cakes that are leavened, raised with eggs. Or a souffle. Or a souffle. Or cloud bread. However, if you're making, depending on the recipe, depending on, on what you're making, so if you're whipping egg whites, just egg whites on their own, the one thing, if you're struggling with this or if you're new in the kitchen, you may not know this, but you will not be able to whip an egg white if there is any trace of fat in yes, there. Yes, I knew so that. So whipping is a function of the proteins in the egg white. If you introduce the tiniest bit of fat, the fat actually gets in between all the proteins and it prevents them from linking up to make that that strong structure, i.e. the whipped aerated thing. So if you've tried whipping eggs and you just haven't been able to make it work, you, the reason is probably that when you separated your eggs, you had a speck of egg yolk in there or your bowl and, and your whisk were not pristine. So or you touched your it with your fingers that have oil on them. You touched it with yeah. your fingers. So, so your your bowl, your utensils have to be pristinely clean, so that there's zero fat. And when you're separating your your eggs from your whites, you if you break the yolk, like put it in, put it in the fridge, and start again because if there's any fat in there, your your egg whites will not whip. Kelly, my wife, has a great tip for when you're separating eggs. Do them one at a time in a cup. 
And then when you're sure that there's no shell or there's no yolk in the white or whatever, then you add your whatever it is that to to the big bowl. Exactly. 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 And that the the other great thing about doing that, which is something that I do too, is because if you, especially if you're making a large batch of anything, if you crack the eggs straight into your mixture and one of them happens to be bad because you can't always tell if an egg's good before yeah, you crack right. it. You'll really you know when it it's into bad a cup, once you crack it. <laughs> you're only going to waste that one egg. You're not going to have to start all over with your whole mix. So there's two reasons why cracking eggs one by one into a cup is a really great Have idea. either of you ever cracked open an egg and it had a beak? In other words, Dude. a little little chicken? No. I that's, haven't either. That's a delicacy in some places. I, I haven't either, but I've heard that it happens. I have no. cracked open two eggs in a row that both were double yokers. Ooh. That's Did you play the lottery? Yeah. I didn't. I probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so emulsify, eggs, they aerate. Aerate. Okay. Eggs also make, technical term, fantastic glue. Binders, so yeah. You'll you'll often see them included in something like a meatloaf. Mm-hmm. It the the egg holds everything together by virtue of the proteins in it but it doesn't weigh it down Mm. so eggs are can often be used if if you have a mixture that is crumblier than you want it to be adding egg can be a, a great way to rescue it or to give it some some more structure to stop it falling apart and you would add both the white and the yolk right yeah, you 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 can. They they as we know now, yolk has more protein. But I typically, if I use egg as glue, mm. it I use the whole yeah. egg and wh- whip it up, just whisk it up to break it all up. So it's you know a, a what am I trying to say? What's the word, Richard? Um, a a, a gluey mess. <laughs> 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 no, no. Uh, yeah, a bound solid. So yeah. Um, and, and then I use the whole egg to as a binder. Okay. That's that's what I normally do. Um, the other thing that eggs do is they they have the ability to thicken. Right, like a custard. Like a custard, but you have to heat them. Mm-hmm. It's not just adding an egg won't thicken anything. Right. It's the act of adding the egg and then heating it which is one of the other pain points for a lot of people with eggs is that if you heat them too high and or for too long, your egg will start to weep. So, oh, poor weep. egg. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good egg. <laughs> weep, i.e. release the water. Okay. So you can't you you have to be careful with, for example, an egg custard. You have to it has to be a low heat. You don't have to do it for too long, and you have to stir it all the time. Other if you don't do that, you're gonna get lumps, and nobody right. likes lumpy custard. Right. Nobody. So when I make uh, anglaise as a base for ice cream, and I know you guys do that as well. You um y- you combine the cream and the egg yolks in a double boiler, which is just a pot of boiling water and then a bowl on top of that. So then you're constantly stirring, and I get it up Whisk to grisly, yeah. 165, which is what the federales say has to be in order to kill the bacteria, which hold and that other, thought. We'll get to method- that in a minute. But. The the other method you may use is to what they call temper the eggs. If you've ever been looking at a recipe and it says tempering the eggs, what that normally means is that you heat your liquid ingredients, in the case of ice cream, your your milk and cream, you heat and, and sweetener normally together, you heat that. And then you have your egg yolks whisked up in a separate bowl and then you slowly pour half a cup or a cup of the hot cream mixture into your egg yolks while you're whisking. So that allows you to incorporate the heat into the eggs 
in a way that the eggs won't suddenly thicken and become lumpy and horrible. So why would you temper like that rather than just start everything off cold in a double boiler and continue to whisk and bring everything up to temp at the same time? I, either way. Yeah. It's just personal preference. Hmm. Really. Interesting. I just tempering was was just the way I was always taught to do it. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Could be. <laughs> but either way works. Um so thickening is something that eggs are very very good at. Yeah. Because of the amount of proteins between the yolk and the white, but also the number of different proteins mm -hmm. that are in there makes an excellent thickener. Um, they also add, which is something that, that that maybe people don't think about, is flavor. They eggs have a flavor, and if you've ever had a duck egg, oh, you'll yeah. know that it it and quail eggs they do taste a bit different to each other. So eggs also have their own magic flavor, and and sometimes you'll you'll find that people say. Eggy. They'll use eggy to to kind of denote that that flavor. So mm -hmm. eggs also have that. Yeah. Um, and the other magical thing about eggs is that they pretty much go with everything: sweet things, savory things. Right. Eggs, eggs go with it all. I have a question for you, Carrie. Everybody has their own favorite way and method for making a perfect soft-boiled egg. Yes. How do you do it? Okay. So soft-boiled eggs, foolproof soft-boiled eggs. Yeah. A lidded pan or a, or a pot small enough that the eggs will be fully submerged when you add them to the water. You bring the water to a boil over a high heat. You add the eggs, you cover the pan, and you turn the heat off. Or if you've got a, a you know a cooktop that stays hot, remove the pan from the heat. And then you cook the eggs according to these times, depending on how hard and soft you like the, the white and the yolk you would leave it to cook for one to three minutes if you want the outer white set just enough to allow the egg to retain its shape when carefully peeled. So if you like a very kind of loose soft-boiled egg, mm -hmm. one to three minutes, leave that in the, the pan. Um, four minutes, you're going to get an, an a soft-boiled egg that is opaque almost all the way through the yolk is barely warm and completely raw. Mm. Five minutes, you're going to get a white that is opaque but still quivering. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and barely set towards the egg yolk, which is warm but still raw. Six minutes, you're going to get opaque, firm all the way through. Yolk is warm and just starting to firm up around the edges that's how I and if like you it. leave it yes. that's that's richard richard's that's a six me. minute that's soft boil <laughs> i'm a six minute soft boil yeah <laughs> and, and seven minutes you're gonna get it's fully cooked and hard the white is as hard as a hard boiled egg but the yolk is liquid in the center and just beginning to set around the edges mm. so boil your water Put the eggs in, cover the pan, remove it from the heat, and then time it and take them out of the water. Richard's going to take them out at six minutes yeah, because he's a six-minute soft boil. What are you, Cousin Carl? Well, I've been, and I know Richard does this too, a uh, little bit obsessed with the sous vide method, uh -huh. which is, means under vacuum, and uh, it's a technique where you um, – uh, if you haven't been paying attention to two keto dudes, I'll just explain it real quick. You uh, take whatever food you're going to cook and you take all the air out of uh, a, a plastic wrap or a container or some sort of silicon thing, basically, um, so it's vacuum sealed. 
and it can be seasoned, whatever it is, if it's meat, whatever. Turns out eggs come in their own little vacuum sealed package yeah. called the shell. You don't need to you don't need to seal them under vacuum at all. Yeah. <laughs> and uh I'm gonna link to the Serious Eats. Oh yeah. That's the go to site. Yeah, and the Serious Eats website has this whole page dedicated to time and temperature of eggs in a sous vide bath. And uh, they show you what it looks like at this temperature for this many minutes or hours or whatever. And so they, but they, they landed on a single recipe for soft boiled eggs in sous vide. And here it is. You adjust the sous vide cooker to 143 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's uh, almost 61 and a half Celsius. Alternatively, you could fill a large beer cooler with hot water and use a kettle of boiling water to adjust the heat to 146. So you also want to prepare... 143. Yes, but this says 146. Oh, I see. Okay. That's if you want to fill the beer cooler with hot water. Uh, you want to bring it to 146 because once you add the egg, uh, it's going gotcha. to chill down a It'll little bit. It's not cool, yeah. Yeah. So you prepare an ice bath, which is just ice in water in a big bowl. You bring a large pot of water to boil over high heat. Gently lower the eggs into the water using a metal spider or a fine mesh strainer. Cook for exactly three minutes, then immediately transfer the eggs to the ice bath and let chill for one minute. You transfer to the sous vide cooker, and then you cook that for 45 minutes. So what you're doing is you're you're first boiling the outside, right, for three minutes shock it in ice bath and then put it in the sous vide uh, bath for 45 minutes and let it cook from the inside out. And apparently that makes a perfect uh, soft boiled egg. Takes a little bit longer than Carrie's method though. Now I just, I just put it in at 63 degrees Celsius for an hour. (laughs) That'll work, and that kind of works. That kind of works for me. The, the interesting thing about uh, temperature and, and cooking is you're applying heat to the outside of a food, mm. and the inside of the food is at room temperature or fridge temperature or whatever it is. Right, and it takes time for that heat to propagate through, and so that's the first thing is that you're cooking the outside first, and then it's slowly getting warmer and warmer in the inside. And the other interesting thing is that egg yolks and egg whites set at different temperatures. Right. So egg whites set at 55 Celsius and egg yolks set at 60 Celsius. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing here is that anywhere between 55 and 60, you're going to have just one one part of it is being set. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely um, – I like – personally, I don't like runny whites. I don't either. but I really like a runny yellow. It's a runny yolk. It's oh, yeah. like a sauce, especially over like a burger with a with a cooking egg in a ring with just the t- just a sunny side up, and then you just slice into that egg, and mm. the yolk goes over the burger. I mean, that's some nice sauce. So uh, I have a story about my experience growing up eating eggs in Connecticut. All my life, until I was in my forties. I think I was probably, yeah, I was in my forties. I was eating local eggs and, you know, brown eggs are local eggs and local eggs are fresh. That's what they say in the ads, right? So we always yeah. had brown eggs. I, I, I have since learned from Alton Brown that there's really no difference. It's just the color of the shell. But the yolks in the eggs that we always bought at the supermarket were always really pale yellow. Right. And I thought that's what eggs are. And then I went to Europe, and I had breakfast at a hotel. (laughs) And they were orange. And they're orange and dark (laughs) orange. And I was like, oh. (laughs) And how did they taste? Fantastic. Yeah, they just tasted fantastic. Um, I've since learned that the reason that they uh, the yolks are orange is because of the diet of the chickens. They actually feed them. Um, flowers that are, that are, uh, that have that color and that makes the yolks that color. So that's carotenoids like, uh, uh, lycopene and beta carotene and, and the like. But the other reason that egg yolks that are yellow 
um, in uh, pasture raised mm. eggs and not in um, uh, coop raised eggs is because in you know in, in large uh, egg laying factories uh, the chicken of chicken are fed corn and 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 maize and right. and you know, grains essentially. Right. Whereas in pasture raised animals, they they uh, eat bugs are, are not vegetarians. <laughs> they eat bugs. They eat a lot of bugs. And one of the things in, in Europe, I know, they they feed um, crustacean shells and small crustaceans too small for the market to chickens. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons you can get. Omega three enhanced eggs um, uh, in some places because they've been fed uh, uh, crustacea like uh, small baby prawns and prawn shells and stuff like that. So yeah. that's another reason why they can get they can pick up um, those carotenoids from from the, from the diet. But yeah, it's uh, I mean an omega three egg is uh, is in Australia is much more orange than a than your regular egg and much more tasty. I find. Yeah. And if you don't believe or if you find it hard to believe that what the chicken eats changes the egg, I cannot eat backyard chicken eggs. Really? I react to backyard chicken eggs. I do not react to supermarket mm. eggs. Ah, interesting. So it, it has to be something in the feed that the backyard chickens get, something that they're eating is actually causing the reaction, not the egg. Yeah, chicken. Chickens are little dinosaurs, so they 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 eat other chickens. They eat bugs. Any bug that comes nearby, they'll eat seed if they have to. But uh, it's not their so preferred. It, but feed. it does make a difference. Like you are eating what the chicken ate yeah. Yeah, you when are. you eat an <laughs> egg. Yes, and you are. so if you can get, I mean, uh, my body's weird. I can't eat backyard eggs because I react to something, but that's just me. Mm. But for people who don't, then if you can get backyard chicken eggs, pasture-raised eggs, then do that because it does make a difference. They taste so much better. Hey, As well as the taste, but but yes, nutritionally, yeah. I mean, they, it does make a difference. Hey, uh, do you refrigerate your eggs, Richard? I don't know. No, no you I just leave them out. My eggs. You know, I most of the out. world do, doesn't refrigerate yeah. eggs, but the U.S. does, and in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, parts of Scandinavia, the most of the time when you purchase eggs in the grocery store, they're refrigerated. But in ever a lot of places in Europe, for example, they don't refrigerate them. They're so just why in the is shelf? That? Yeah, the shelf stable. So I when I. Because I, I spent, I grew up in England and then I moved here and I, ad, I admit that I just thought Americans were like clean, freaky, oh my goodness, it's an egg, it has to be in the fridge. Um, Americans tend to be a lot more germaphobic than the Brits. That's what you thought anyway. And so, yeah, no. So when I came here and, and everyone's got their eggs in the fridge and I'm like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> like, stop it. I've never put an egg in the fridge in my life, which was true up to that point. Yeah. And then I discovered what Mr. Franklin is about to share with you. Yeah. So uh, it turns out that in America, eggs are refrigerated because the USDA requires eggs sold for consumption to be washed, processed. Ah and then refrigerated before they come anywhere near stored shelves. But most European and Asian countries have reached the opposite conclusion, requiring that table eggs not be wet washed and also not refrigerated. So it, it's something to do with what's on the shell of the egg, isn't it? Yeah, there's a barrier. There's a barrier on the egg that stops them from being porous that you can wash off. And so what happens is when you wash an egg, you lose that barrier and now it can take in things. It, it, it becomes porous. And so it can take in bacteria from the outside world. So in Australia, if, if, if you have eggs that have feathers on or a little bit of poo, that's actually a good thing. <laughs> it means they haven't been washed. Um, you know, don't don't eat that bit. <laughs> you don't eat the shell. No, no. Yeah, you right. Don't eat the shell. And the, stuff on the, and the texture. <laughs> and right. you can, you know, if you <laughs> have an unwashed fiber. egg, you might even be able to, you should probably wash it off before you crack it. 
yeah, exactly. You you can you can certainly do that. I you know I I've become uh, 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 expert in the process of cracking eggs. Expert, so one handed. <laughs> so so in in America, then if you buy backyard eggs which are not washed, you do not have to refrigerate no. them. You do not have to refrigerate you, them. You should you still only have to refrigerate them if they're store bought eggs, right? And you should uh, eggs are, are generally pasteurized when they're washed, and so there's less chance of things like salmonella. Uh, so uh, in a backyard egg, there's a there's a, you've got a better chance of salmonella happening. The way pasteurization works is that you warm uh, a food up uh, to a certain temperature, and it's going to be specific to the pathogens that can live in that kind of food over a certain amount of time and you can so so eggs for example uh if you uh warm an egg to 55 degrees um it's still going to be liquid uh but uh it'll it'll it only needs to be um uh, in for nine nine minutes or something or so but if you uh cook it to 64 celsius then it, it can it can be fully pasteurized after two and a half minutes and it's about 165 so the of, fahrenheit right yeah yeah, yeah. And compared to 140-ish. So mm-hmm. so essentially, the longer that you cook it, the less the temperature has to be. And ideally for eggs, you don't want to cook the egg. You want to just keep it below the point where the, the, the proteins will set. Right. And so um, so you want to keep it for like 15 minutes at below 50 Celsius and, and, and that will, um, that will, that will pasteurize salmonella. Uh, and, and what they're doing is they're, they're, the, the the longer it's at a particular temperature, the more salmonella dies off. Right, and you're trying to reduce by six uh, by by uh, ten to the six. So you're trying to reduce by a million the number of salmonella bacteria that are on that egg. Well, if you have an egg that's got two million salmonella bacteria on it, it's a really dirty egg. Um, pasteurization still probably doesn't um, doesn't. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll reduce by half the amount of, amount of pathogens on it. So, um, so you still need to have good processes for, for handling eggs and you still need to crack them individually just because, you know, you'll know when an egg is off, you'll get yeah. that hydrogen sulfide smell. Oh, yeah. Rotten egg gas is no joke, people. So, so that's why it's, you really, you know, even if you get your eggs that have been washed and pasteurized and, 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 uh, you know, are supposed to be, um, uh, totally perfect, uh, and you should still crack them individually because, you know, you might get one. And you can <laughs> so. always blame it on the dog. <laughs> right. Or the cat. Yeah. Or the cat. So that's actually what that eggy flavor that Carrie was talking about before was, that there's there, there's hydrogen sulfide in, in um, present in very small doses in eggs anyway. It's only when that overproduces that you yeah. that you end up with a rotten, real rotten egg smell. All right. So I know Carrie has a recipe she's going to share here, but I just want to give a shout out to my friend Julie Fox McClure in Vermont, our friend, and uh, who taught me a foolproof way to make mayonnaise. And I tried making mayonnaise many times. I remember Richard, when you were here, we tried it and it we couldn't get it to work for some reason. But the foolproof method that she taught me uh, uses a stick blender. And three quarters of a cup of avocado oil. Uh, I don't like using olive oil because it, it it's too strong a flavor. Avocado oil is is a good fat, and, especially, yeah, especially virgin. Olive yeah, oil. yeah, I mean, yeah. Regu- regular olive oil is less sort of piquant. So yeah. yeah. Uh, so three quarters of a cup of that, one egg, a little splash of apple cider vinegar, maybe a tablespoon. Um, maybe another tablespoon of Dijon mustard, a pinch of salt, and uh, I put a little allulose in my mayonnaise because I like a, a little, just a little hint of sweetness. You like and, a Kewpie style mayonnaise? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, just put the stick blender all the way down into the container, turn it on, and slowly pull it up to the top. By the time you get to the top, it's mayonnaise. Yeah. And it takes five seconds. So you can make mayonnaise faster than you can cook a burger. <laughs> yeah. That's really the truth. And that's just an egg yolk. You don't have you don't use the white in your mayonnaise. I do. do. I, I put the white in. It's just the way that she taught me, but you're right, you don't need to put the white in. 
And uh, I've been ever since. Uh, I have a squeeze bottle of mayonnaise in my fridge at all times that I make. I haven't eaten mayonnaise out of, uh, you know, from the store in probably a year and a half. Well, they use things like gelins to set mayonnaises to make yeah, and them also stable. Soybean because- oil and. Nasty yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, nasty oils, cheap oils. Yeah, yep. cheap oils and 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 carrageenan and other gelins that that will help the emulsion to stay. But you know, a lot of those have carbohydrates in them. So she also well, gave me the tip that if you see like too much sheen <laughs> on top, you can just add a couple drops of water. Okay, and put that in and, and emulsify. Yeah, and also nice. to Richard's point with the the French chef that he talked about. You can, if if you want to just bulk it up and add more, just drizzle more oil in, and you can make more mayonnaise. You don't have to add more you eggs. You can make 44 gallons of 44 it. Ga- 44 gallons of oil he used. On that one magical egg. Yep. You know, in yeah. the first six months that I was keto, my go-to breakfast every day. So so after six months, I stopped eating breakfast because I just realized, right. you know, if I'm not hungry, I'm not going to eat. But um, for the first six months while I was getting the handle on, on, on eating, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I, I wanted to have one go-to meal, but mm. I didn't want it to be boring. Right. So what I would do every morning is have a, uh, a royal omelette, which is uh, an omelette made with eggs, and a little bit of cream. And then I put, you know, a bit of ham in, a bit of avocado, a bit of cheese, fold it over, and I would eat an, an omelette every morning uh, for for the first six months of going keto. And then, so then I was I was full for the you know until dinner pretty much, and then then I would eat whatever keto meal I would eat for dinner, and that was the easiest way for me to get into keto. So I would say to anybody who's just who's type two diabetic and has heard that this diet is useful for reversing type 2 diabetes learn how to make an omelet because it 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 really is um a, a, an easy meal to make and by the way that was the first recipe you ever shared on two keto dudes i think it was actually and you called it, it was your the first keto meal i ever made and you called it your om nom omelet or nom nom omelet or something om <laughs> <laughs> nom omelet <laughs> i i'm i'm with you richard omelets any time of day 2 minutes to make you can put anything you have in the fridge in it. They're absolutely the fastest, <laughs> easiest, tastiest, like whatever you've got meal. They're, they're my go-to meal. If I want something hot and I, you know, don't want to take more than two minutes, an omelette is plus cheap, depending on what else you put in it, obviously. But but cheap, just even just a cheese omelette for me is just – like uh, you know, some herbs, some dried herbs. You can eggs. Omelets are so versatile. You could, I could live on omelets and just change the fillings out and the herbs right. and the and the type of cheese. You can, yeah. like, I've made some fabulous omelets just by varying the herbs and the cheese. It's still a cheese omelet, but just you know, make it with sage derby instead of cheddar, and it's a completely different. Everybody Animal. in the United Death States just said, Sage, what? This is the <laughs> thing that you'll notice if it, you ever it, go to England <laughs> is that they have 1,000 kinds of cheese and they complain when they come to the United States. I remember Stephen Fry. None of it's orange. Yeah, Stephen Fry wrote about this famously. He's like, Where's all the cheese? <laughs> so, sage, so, Sage Derby. And Carl, you've I had Sage Derby, delicious. right? It sage derby is fabulous. It, it's a it's a, a white firm cheese that's kind of infused with and sage, sage, yeah, kind of cheddarish, yeah. and it comes from Derby, derby which is a <laughs> is a county. Well, Derbyshire yeah. is a county yeah. in England. So, but you can get. And actually, I want to say they have sage derby at Trader Joe's. Um, and if you go to most grocery stores now, don't go to the cheese section. Go to the the deli, the like the magical weird cheese section, you'll find Sage Derby. And it's one of my favorite cheeses. And it will transform your omelette into something completely different. That's, that's, so I'm a yeah. I'm with you, Richard. I'm a huge fan of omelettes. That's how you have the same meal every day, but have something different every day. Yep. Yeah, never yeah. get bored. Swap out no. the cheese. No. And by yep. the way, if you're anywhere near Old Saybrook, Connecticut, go to the cheese shop called Fromage. Oh yeah. Yes. Which I remember when I, when Carrie didn't know about this, and it's sort of close to where she lives, 
So uh, I I told her I'd meet her there, and I got I got tied up, and so I he was I called, late. He stood me up, and I said, "Hey, uh, I'm going to be a few minutes." She goes, "No problem. <laughs> I'm in heaven." They also, it's not just cheese oh, yeah. though. They do have all the little all like the gourmet things. all little white porcelain dishes and and all these other fancy Dijon ketchups. That, Yes, <laughs> and all this imported European food, which just, I mean, I don't eat that, yeah. any of it anymore because it's all, you know, high carb, but it, just to see the labels, it just kind of, you know, I was like a kid at Christmas. Yep. And then Carl arrived. Yeah, and I ruined it all. So uh, let's let's uh, give the floor to Carrie for her recipe, including eggs. Okay, so... Next to omelets, my favorite thing to do with eggs is to make these little, well, you don't have to make individual ones. You can make it in a casserole dish. But it, what I call egg cups, which if you make them in muffin cups, it just makes them easy to portion. The reason I love these next best to omelets is because you can eat them hot, you can eat them cold, you can like make a big batch and then eat them over a week. They're completely portable. You can take them for lunch. You can have them on the go. So, and, and you can pr pretty much put anything you like in these things. And as I say, you can either make them in individual um, portion sizes in silicon cups or you can pour them into a dish and then just slice it up. Mm. So um, these, I wanted to share this because the flavor combination of this is fabulous, but it's not something you might have thought about putting together in, in an egg. Um, you can, though, pretty much put any combination of things that you have in your fridge or favorite flavors into this. And so, again, there's like a, an, a, an infinite number of varieties of this. So you will never get bored if you have egg cups in your fridge or freezer. You can freeze them too. So these are my second favorite way to eat eggs. So you're going to start with um, – 12 muffin cups, either in a, in a muffin tin or, or the individual silicon molds, which I love because they just come out super easy. So you're going to spray those with coconut oil or avocado oil just to make the releasing of them easy. You are then going to get um, a little bit of avocado or coconut oil in a pan and you're going to saute six ounces or 170 grams of finely sleeced finally sliced <laughs> leeks um leeks if you don't know leeks are i i think leeks are the finest vegetable on earth and a lot of people have never tried leeks i highly recommend you try leeks leeks are fabulous yep. so you're going to get your finely sliced leeks and you're going to saute them along with six ounces or 170 grams of ham which you have sliced or chopped depending on whether you've got the the deli ham or the square ham whatever you're going to saute those together over a low heat until the leeks are soft that's going to take about 10 minutes then you're going to divide your leek and ham mixture evenly between your 12 muffin cups or just spread it in the bottom of a of a casserole dish if you're just making a big one then you're going to get four ounces or 110 grams of feta cheese, and you're going to cut it into small cubes. Now, it, you can buy pre-crumbled feta from the store, but it, you should be aware that it typically has a bunch of starch added to it yeah. to stop all the pieces from sticking together. So I highly recommend that you buy a block and you just cut it yourself. It'll take a minute, but you're not having all that kind of onboard starch that comes with the pre-crumbled right. variety. So you're going to chop your feta cheese or crumble it into small cubes. You're going to divide that feta evenly over top of the ham and leeks that you've already got in your cups. And then in a large jug, you're going to whisk nine eggs, two tablespoons of heavy cream, a tablespoon of finely chopped fresh rosemary, and a sprinkling of ground black pepper to your yeah. taste. 
then you're going to, when that's completely, you know, beat the living daylights out of it, when it's mixed, you're going to pour the egg mixture equally into your muffin cups or your casserole over top of your vegetables, meat, and cheese. And then you're going to bake it in the center of the oven at 375 Fahrenheit, which is 190C for 30 minutes until they are well risen and golden mm-hmm. brown. And that's it. And if you have it in the in the big container, it's going to take longer to cook just because a, a large contiguous mass is going to yeah. cook slower than 12 little individual things which have heat all around them. Um, but you really, it's very, very hard to ruin an egg cup. Like, <laughs> you know, even five, ten minutes, go by the color. Right. It, it, it's, you you can guess on the time if you've got it in a casserole dish. Just, as I say, go by the color, golden brown, then it's done. If it's black, if it's you're been worried, in there too long. If it's black, <laughs> it's been there too long. But, but what you can, and what I like to do is, is, uh, if it looks ready, get a, a, a skewer and poke it in the center. And if it comes out clean, dry, then yep. it's perfect. You can mm-hmm. just pull it out of the oven. And as I say, they can. you can eat them hot, you can eat them cold, you can freeze them, airtight container in the fridge. They're just so versatile. So I want to encourage you to try that flavor combination because yeah. it's super yummy but you can vary the herbs yeah, and the course. cheese and the other ingredients the proteins to pretty much any of your favorite flavor combinations yeah. or or whatever you have in and the let's fridge. think about the benefits cheap uh easy to cook ahead of time and accessible just pull one out of the yeah. fridge and nosh you could you could throw that in kids' lunch boxes. Yeah, I mean, that's a, yep. that's a nutritious meal for for a kid who's uh, who's uh, you know avoiding uh, sugar and starch. Yep that 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 sounds like a wonderful meal. Wonderful. And uh, I I need to take one minute at the end of the show here just to rant. And and first of all, I'm not going to rant at you guys. Is this going to be a malarkey? No, 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 no. It's not. Well, actually, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> but okay. what I love about talking to you guys is you will never say something stupid like when you caramelize the meat. Oh. <laughs> uh, right. So okay. you know, brown food tastes good, and and I, I I'm watching Food Network, and they're always saying, you know, Robert Irvine will say like. You know, when you brown the steak, it brings out the natural sugars in the meat. No, it doesn't, you idiot. The Maillard reaction. It's the Maillard reaction. Everything brown is not caramelized. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) Uh, Nice malarkey. That's that's serious malarkey. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what, cousin Carl? In all the time I've known you, I think that's the angriest I've ever heard you sound. <laughs> Normally, I'm the angry one. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> yeah. malarkey. I've I've tried for years to get you to be angry, and I failed miserably. And all I needed to What's say was caramelize the eggs. Yeah, caramelize the eggs. <laughs> Uh, guys, I can't tell you how much fun this has been for us. Uh, this is great. Let's do this again real soon. Well, we're going to hopefully do more of these uh, deep dives into into ingredients. So I think we could definitely do one on lamb. We could do one on beef, one on pork, yeah, uh, one on cheese. Leeks? Can we do one on leeks? Alums? Yes. Let's 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 deep dive into all of the alums. I love going to the to the grocery store and taking a leak, and. <laughs> Because you have to pay for it, nuts. Carl. We definitely have to do an episode on nuts. Speaking of taking a leak. <laughs> Three keto dudes and more nuts. All right. Well, okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, we hope you get as much out of this information as we do in putting it together. The two keto dudes, you know, we don't take advertising revenue. We have no benefactors with hidden agendas. Yep, we're not in the pocket of Big Egg. Right. <laughs> it's listeners like you who keep our lights on. But there are a few ways that you can support us, all of which are listed on our website at twoketodudes.com slash support. Yep, thanks again, everyone. And we'll see you next time on Two, two Keto, Keto Dudes. Dudes. Say, Carrie. See ya. <laughs> we're just a friend.